This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. I do appreciate it. This episode features a chat with the very legendary Jeff Mantis Dunn from Venom, or Venom Inc., same thing as far as I'm concerned, and you'll hear why throughout the conversation because it's a topic that Jeff addresses in some detail, the two-band solution, that is. If you're new to the topic, there are two versions of the band. Kronos, I suppose you'd call him the original bassist and singer, he fronts Venom, and why the band have decided to call the group, this group, the recorded Ave, Venom Inc. So we cover that. The chat I should add was recorded prior to the release of Ave, so it goes back to August of 2017. It has been out there and available via the podcast apps, but I've decided to repurpose it for the YouTube audience because God knows I get a hundred times the audience here than I do there. What else is there? In addition to the two-band solution, he talks about how he lost the intellectual property rights to the name Venom. So that's quite a story. And something else, we discuss his enduring influence over so many people who decided to pick up the guitar after they heard all of those classic tunes that he recorded on Welcome to Hell, Black Metal, Need I Go On? Probably not, because here he is, he's going to tell you all about it himself. Jeff Mantis done, and I've just forgot one thing that I've got to let you know, the recording quality of from Jeff's side of things is absolutely potato, it's not his fault, but the conversation, it is high quality, so look, just bear with us through the very potato recording quality of Jeff's voice, because there is so much gold in this one here, if you are a Venom fan, this one is for the completest, let's go. Jeff, a.k.a. Mantis from Venom Inc. Welcome to the uh-huh. Scarlet and Guitars podcast. I want to, Thank you very much. I want to congratulate you on the new album, Ave, a stellar career, mm. and having the guts to tough it out in the notorious music industry for so long. I've got so many questions to ask you about your career and indeed the new album that it's hard to know where to start. So I thought I'd start with the present, and I'm talking so recent, it's within the past week, in fact. How was the gig in Sardinia? Oh, it was amazing. It was great. It was a um, it was a it was a bikers festival actually, uh, and uh, this motorcycle club they run this festival. So all the bikers were there. Well, amazing machines. Um, some great fans. Oh hello, I can see you. <laughs> I didn't realise um, you were there. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the fans were great. It was it was really really good festival. Really good. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Very well organised. Tracked really well. Fans were great. Brilliant. Loved it. Great stuff, mate. And, mate, has, yeah. the, has the positive reception from fans and media types for the new album and indeed the return of the three three of you to the stage been a surprise at all? Absolute surprise. Absolute. I mean, from the day that we did the Keep It True Festival when we first got back together, which was meant to be a one-off, we had no plans of continuing it after that. There was just so much demand. Um, and the demand has been fan-driven. It's been promoters, agents. Um, we never, never for one minute expected this. And a new album, never even thought of it. Never even thought of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, today, you know, we're, we're days away from the release of the new album. And the reviews have been coming in. Um, overwhelmingly great reviews. Yeah. Um, you know, surprised about that. There hasn't been anything negative said about it. Um, and, you know, ultimately, it's going to be the fans who decide on the new album. It doesn't matter what any critics or any journalists write about it. They can say it's as great as it is. At the end of the day, it's down to the fans. So I just hope all those guys and girls love it as much as we do. I'm very proud of the album. Yeah, well, I definitely I gave it a glowing review, but then again, I'm a fan, and to your point, I suppose it's one of those things where people who and this is actually this is a question that I will ask you actually because I, I think I asked the same question of Abaddon, and I'm due to catch up with him again because we only got halfway through the questions that I had for him. So, so many of the questions yeah. that I have planned for all three of you, um, mm-hmm. but have you had people getting into the band that aren't aware of your history and your legacy that you're aware Absolutely. of? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, the amount of young people who are at our concerts now 
who weren't even born when Rock and the Hell came out. You know, we've, we've had people come up to us and say they discovered Venom on the Primeval album. We've had people coming up and saying they discovered it on the Resurrection album. You know, and obviously we've got the people who have been with us from the beginning. But the amount of young people, it's been incredible. When we played in Los Angeles, we, we played the whiskey. Yeah. We were doing an interview in downtown LA, and as we were driving back, the guy who was doing the interview got a phone call, and he turned around to us and says, oh, congratulations, you just sold out the whiskey. And we're like, wow, great, you know? So on the night time, you know, we headed over in the backstage area, and there was just all these young people, young girls, young guys, <laughs> and he's like, Oh, and we thought we were going to a different gig, you know? <laughs> and then when we hit the stage, the place went crazy. And I mean, you know, I've seen young people in the front row who have sang every word to every song, you know, from way back in the catalogue, yeah. you know, from the world of the health days. Um, so, yeah, we're gaining more and more young fans all the time. And, you know, that's, that's a positive thing, you know, because you've got to sort of regenerate this fan base all the time. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be playing the one man and his dog who's got, you know, well, the hell or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, it's been, it's, it's even that has been a total surprise, you know. There's a few nights where you came up stage, how old are those people in the front row, you know? We had one young guy in Poland. And he was standing outside, standing outside the tour bus. Excuse me, my dog's just barking. Right. Two seconds. <clears throat> Let's eat the No. Yeah, this young, this young guy was standing outside the tour bus, and he had the full battle jacket on, everything, all the patches, and he had a bag full of Venom albums. So we invited him on the bus, and we signed all the albums. And I remember saying, I said, don't mind me asking, how old are you? He says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm 15. I'm 15. And he says, yes. He says, uh, my father, he handed me these vinyls and said, learn. You know, I was like, wow. You know, so it's been passed yes. down for generations, you know. And in Seattle, we had father and son, you know, people bringing their kids to the shows and stuff like that. It's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But like I say, you know, you, you, as a band, to stay alive in this industry, you need that. You know, you need these younger fans to be on board. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And look, I've had a chat to both lads already, as I mentioned. So uh, the other Tony, um, or both Tonys, I should say, gosh, and Abaddon, the Abaddon, the, the Tony named Abaddon, I should say, he mentioned that mm-hmm. you weren't all that keen to use the Venom, Venom moniker again. Now, the reasons for Conrad's use of the name have been well covered elsewhere, and I'm sorry to hear that you lost your mother back in 2005 because I lost my father in 2011, and it certainly is a difficult yes. time to say the least, so I can certainly understand what you were going through at the time and where your focus was. But what's yeah. your take on fan reaction to what I'm going to term as the two-band solution? Um, do you know what it is? Right now, I don't even concern myself with this. Not anymore. You know, at the, at the beginning, you know, there, there was concerns and, yeah, there was correspondence from the other camp and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I've met so many fans after concerts now. And I, and I must be talking, you know, hundreds if not thousands, you know, yeah. fans after shows who they are saying to us, this is Venom. This is Venom. This is this is the spirit and the soul and the, you know, this is what we've been waiting for. You know, I've spoken to a lot of fans who have seen the other camp and said, "Yeah, we weren't impressed." You know, it's so. Uh, and when we got together and we agreed to do this, and we said, "You know, well, obviously, you know, at some point we're going to be doing some interviews, so yep. to approach this." All we said was, we're going to tell the truth. You know, because, you know, when I did give Conrad permission to use the name, you know, like I say, I didn't give a shit about bad names at that point. Um, but then after that, it was a case of he was trying to eradicate myself and Abaddon from the history of the land. Mm. You know, we had some silly personal verbal attacks on us. You know, na- childish name calling, all that kind of bullshit. And, you know, I was reading these things thinking, what the fuck have I ever done to you? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you asked me to continue Venom 
and he needed my permission. He didn't ask Abaddon, because I know Abaddon would have said no straight away, but he asked my permission, and I was like, yeah, do what you want with me, I don't give a shit, you know. The focus was on family. Um, I've been asked now, is it the decision that I regret? And I have to say yes. Uh But like I say, my mind wasn't in that mindset at that point, you know, do what the fuck you want with it, I don't care. But to then, you know, go on this relentless crusade to try and justify his relevance within the band has just been, it's been silly. It's been childish. You know, and then you see, there was one interview I seen with the three that were sitting there, and then you've got the guitarist. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually met that guy when I was still living in Newcastle. I met him at a gig. And he came over to me, and he was very humble, he was very polite. He said, oh, you know, I'm really trying to do your ricks justice and all this. And I was like, hey, man, you know, it's your time. Go for it, do what you need to do. Yep. And then he turns around and says, you know, oh, all those guys are just pale imitations. Hmm. <laughs> oh, come on, you're in a Slayer tribute band. You had to learn my parts. The drummer is in a Bon Jovi tribute band. He had to learn Abaddon's parts. <laughs> you know, who's imitating who here, you know? It's like... To be honest with you, shut the fuck up and just play. Just yeah. get on with what you're doing. We'll get on with what we're doing. And, you know, that's it. I, I'm not bothered about this rivalry bullshit anymore, you know. And one thing I will say, in all the shows we've played, 200, 250 shows now, not once have I heard an audience chant Venom Ick. It's always just been Venom. Okay, yeah. So, you know, and we've never come out and said, we are the real Venom, this is us. I mean, it's up on his website, you know, we are the genuine Venom. We've never once said that. I'm not bothered about saying that. I'm secure yeah. in who I am. I know who I am. I'm the founder member of Venom. Abaddon is the co-founder member of Venom. And Tony Dolan was in Venom, the base vocalist, for three fucking albums. Yep. You know, and now, as Venom Inc., we've done more gigs than Venom did in a heyday, you know? Mm. So I, I just don't care about it anymore. It's like, get on with what you're doing, we'll get on with what we're doing. You know, simple as that. Yeah, it's a very good attitude to take. I must compliment you on there. But the you know the, the two-band solution is now so common, and I even heard Jamie Jaster talking to Corpse Grinder Fisher from Cannibal Corpse. Um, it was a podcast that I listened to last night, but it was released a couple of weeks back. And he went through the mm-hmm. list. So there's, there's two versions of Venom, two versions of Morbid mm-hmm. Angel, two versions of Rat, two versions of Queen Shrike, and I think there's a few, you know, hair or glam metal bands out there that are sort of doing something similar. The point being, it's very similar and if it's what the fans want, it's what the fans want. But to your point precisely, and I'm in this category too, and I'm not just saying it because I'm speaking to you or I've spoken to the other Tonys about it, I consider you guys mm-hmm. the venom. And and look, if I ever had a chance to talk to Conrad, I just probably wouldn't bring it up, to be honest with you, but you guys are the founding mm-hmm. members of Venom. The legacy is indeed in your playing, in your guitar playing yeah. I'm talking about. Whenever I hear your guitar playing, it's a bit like hearing... Andreas Kisser in Sepultura and his guitar playing, and with all the greatest of respect to Max and the guitarist that he has in the incarnations of the bands that he's, he's in that, that are playing the Roots Bloody Roots music at the moment, you can really hear yeah. it when Max sings Roots Bloody Roots, that it really mm-hmm. lacks that rhythm that Andreas brings. And the same yeah. thing with your good self and your guitar playing, and I've got a, a few questions about your guitar playing because you are a direct influence on me and inspiration for me to pick up the guitar and play. It really misses that with Conrad's version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what we, we we obviously have had discussions about this, and you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is that you know, like I say, founder member, co-founder, and Conrad was the last person to join them at my invitation. We needed a rhythm guitarist. Our rhythm guitarist had that. We were five of us. Hmm. So, you know, Conrad joined as a rhythm guitarist and the bass player left. So, by default, it took over bass. And then I had wrote a little like Nature Diary. <clears throat> and um, it was at a rehearsal one day that I asked Conrad to sing it. And then we went in and demoed it with him singing it because the idea was that Clive Archer, the vocalist, was going to come off stage for a costume change and all this kind of stuff. So, hmm. to fill in that gap, Conrad was going to sing. And then Clive was getting a little bit disheartened. So he'd left and it became the, the three piece that everybody knows. 
Yeah. But you know, you just you just jumped from one thing to another just by default. We didn't advertise for anybody else. It was like, oh, I'll play this, right? You came here, play this. Oh, I'm saying the work you've seen. And he didn't do anything different than what Clive was doing. If you if you hear the really early demos with Clive singing, it's the same sort of guttural sounds, you know, it's a little bit stronger, I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um but again, a lot of those classic songs, you know, what people term as classics now, and we're lucky to have a, a rich catalogue of those songs. Um, a lot of those songs were written before he even joined the band. You know? yes. I've got an old, I've got an old cassette tape which was recorded on my father's cassette in the air recorder at a church hall in Westgate Road where we used to rehearse. Mm-hmm. And Clive Archer singing "Buried Alive," "Raise the Dead," which didn't appear on that metal. And then um, Andrew Dustin read out for me You know, so he was singing those songs at that point. And on that tape, Conrad was playing bass. He had just taken all of bass. Um, so, you know, I, I know it's the thing where people will look at a band and automatically assume that, you know, it's the front man of the band who's responsible for everything. You know, he's the creative driving force. Yeah. And Conrad did become creative later on. But the bulk of Welcome to Hell and Black Metal is all my riffs and my lyrics, you know? So, yes. and there's a few things that obviously we collaborated on. You know, I would go in with a funny, fully finished musical piece, and Conrad always had a folder full of poems and lyrics and stuff like that, and he would fit something to it. And there was a lot of lyrics we collaborated on as well, you know? But essentially, I've always been a bit of a a bit of a lone wolf when it comes to writing songs. I'm quite precious about that side of it. You know, so I would take a finished song into rehearsals. I remember when I, when I took Witching Hour in one Sunday morning. You know, I got a new song, Witching Hour. It goes like this. Um, same with Seven Gates of Hell, you know, old mm-hmm. singles. I remember taking Seven Gates of Hell in the rehearsals. And that was my little tip of the hat with Ronnie James Deal. With all the sort of sorcery lyrics and stuff like that. You know? mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it is It is automatic to assume, you know, whoever's at the mic, or whoever's the front man or the, the, the sort of mouthpiece of the band, they're the one responsible for it. But it just, you know, it wasn't the case in the early days. Never was. Yeah, I guess because I'm a musician and I know what goes into uh, the composition composition of songs and the like, I rarely see the front men as the as the be all and end all. And I usually look to the guitarist because, let's face it, it's got mm-hmm. the most chromatic offerings on the six string guitar. And usually, just yeah. by the nature and design of rock and roll bands, because I still consider you guys. I know the black metal thing and the metal thing is is mm-hmm. wholly a part of what you guys do, but I just see you guys as a great rock and roll band and always have. Uh, I totally, totally agree with you. That, that is why we've got the song on the end of the album called Black and Black and Roll. Roll. Yep, yep. Yeah, that, that's our little nod to all our heroes. You, you know, you hear the lyrics and everybody's mentioned in there. There's passages from different songs and yes. stuff. But we, I think, you know, you're absolutely right to say that. Um, if you want to be one of these people that analyse songs, if you go back to Welcome to Hell and Black Metal and you pull those songs to pieces, you'll see it's just rock and roll, Blues licks. Yes. And progressions. I mean, you know, the first song I ever wrote was Red Light Fever. And I remember in the late 70s, I had bought a book. I didn't even know who the guy was. I bought this sort of floppy paperback book with a flexi disc. Mm-hmm. It turned out that the guy's name was Pat Thrall. So I've since become a huge fan of his playing. You know, I think he's an incredible guitarist. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that book, that was where I learned a movable power chord and the first position of the pentatonic scale. And yep. once I had that, even though I couldn't play it very well, once I had that, I just wanted to write songs. I've got no interest in being virtuals. Not one iota. I just do not care about sitting down for eight hours a day and practicing scales. All power to those who do it and who can do it, the Malmsteens, the Vise, and the Saturn for that fucking incredible. But I just haven't got the desire to be like that. I'm all about hook lines, choruses, you know. It's yes. like, you know, there's, there's one tale I always tell, I'll tell you very quickly. There's a friend of mine who was a guitar demonstrator for a company, and that guy could play, right? I mean, he's fucking incredible, right? He plays in a cover band or something like that, but he is amazing. You know, you sit and watch him play, fucking hell. You know, he's got everything that all these top guys have got. 
So the company had a new guitar, they posted a video on YouTube of him playing it. And I mean, he tore the shit out of this thing. And you could literally see the guitar hosting the white, white flag, and I'm fucking hell, and I'm doing a break. And then at the bottom of the video, there was a little ticker tape came along, and it said, can also be used to play a song. And I thought, perfect. Absolutely perfect. You know? And another thing I've always said was, you would never consider someone like Paul Stanley from KISS to be a virtuoso guitarist in the respect of Monster or Sure. How many great songs has he been Same with your fucking native, Angus. I mean, fucking hell, that guy, I read an interview with him, and he went, hey man, I'm just fucking Chuck Berry, you know? <laughs> He's a blues player at the end of the day. Yes. But you know, you want you watch him hit the opening chords to Highway to Hell, three fucking chords, and that audience go fucking crazy, you know? Yeah, um, you know, totally appreciative of all these, you know, like opets and dream theaters and all that. You know, they're very technical, very clever. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to do what Angus does with those fucking three chords to get an audience moving. And that's my premise for songwriting. It's always about the audience. So, okay, you might have covered a lot in terms of you might have already covered a lot in terms of the question that I'm about to ask you now. But I really wanted to ask you this next question. Okay, so so here I go. So. <laughs> Yourself and Steve Jones have never really been given the credit that you were both due for your contribution to guitar playing. So I see those silly greatest ever guitar polls and the focus is on notes per second, exactly what you mentioned, uh, rather than style, emotion and influence. And this is where you come in. I would be willing to bet that there are tens of thousands of young hands that wrap themselves around a Strat copy from a mum and dad music shop and then played along to cuts such as Black Metal and To Hell and Back because you know what, mate? I'm actually one of them. So what's your take on how your guitar playing is viewed by critics and what I'm going to refer to as the guitar mafia? Ah, um, honestly, I don't take any notice of it, you know, because, you know, I, I'll be totally honest here. I know there are a million, if not more, better guitar players out there than me. Definitely. You know, it, it's... You know, it's something something that I'm perfectly aware of. I can go on YouTube right now and watch some twelve year old who's fucking amazing. Will he ever write a song? Will he ever write something which is taken to heart by, you know, thousands if not millions of people? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've, I've just seen um I don't know if you the the band was it Dark Angel, Jimmy Durkin from Dark Angel? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's Dark Angel, yep. Yeah, yeah. Who, who I met in Los Angeles a while ago, and he, he said to me, he says, you know, if there was no you, there'd be no me. Yes. There'd be no fucking Kerry King. He says, he says, I know Kerry King personally, and he says, you're one of his biggest fucking influences. He says, even though he never fucking admitted, he says, we used to drive around in a car and just blast them all day, you know? Um, the Metallica boys have said it and all that, all, all the influences and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's nice, it's flattering, um, but it, it, it's also, it's also quite overwhelming as well. You know, when, when, you know, you get people coming up to you and saying, you know, you're the reason I started playing guitar and this, that, and the other. Um, but this, I've just done a feature. Um, and I'm just, I haven't actually seen the feature yet, but I'm just getting my charge. My name is Andrew Mackay Smith, and you are listening to Scars and Guitars um, on 4 Z Z Digital. But it's with Guitar World. Excellent. Okay. And yep. It looks like a huge feature, like full page photographs, and then I was on the phone for an hour and a half. And you know what? Those, those are the interviews that I fear the most. You know, the guitar interviews. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not theory-based or anything like that. I've got no interest in it. Um, it really doesn't bother me, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I know there's these people who will sit for hours and hours and hours and go through everything. You know, I used to do a thing called Rock School for Kids. And there was one of the sort of assistant guitar tutors who was there. There was, I think he was 19, 18 or 19 at the time. Incredible player, you know. But he was doing nothing with it apart from just constantly learning more and more theory. Yep. And I said, I said to him one day, I said, you know what it is? 
you will be a great session player. You know, yes. try and get into that world, you know, get into just session, studio work, anything like that. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I need to get my grades. And I was like, oh, fuck's sake, you need to get your grades. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm damn sure that when Robert Chirillo auditioned for Metallica, they mm-hmm. didn't first turn up and say, what grade are you? Uh, grade one, oh, no, sorry, you need a grade eight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fucking hell. Well, I think there's a lot, lot to do with just experience. And the main thing for me is just determination and tenacity. It's just sticking at it. Yeah. And look, I don't, I don't think I can offer you a greater compliment. And and this is coming from me. Okay, the first guitar line that I ever mastered was the intro to to Helen Back. So if it wasn't for oh, you giving me that opportunity through your playing to sit down and break it down with it, you know, with my mm-hmm. cassette tape and go back and then play it and go back and then play it, it gave me gave me. Yeah. This is a really important point, mate. It gave me the confidence to continue. You know, that your playing gave me confidence to continue. And I've done session work as a – I ended up switching and becoming a bass player. But still, right. you were one of those formative artists that was around for me to learn virtually. You know how we all learn virtually because, to your point, I'm not trained. Like, I did take lessons, but I hated it. I hated mm-hmm. it. I'd rather sit down and listen to Venom and Sex Pistols re- records and try to play guitar along to them because I got it. It hit me in the gut. It hit me emotionally. Yeah. And, and I think there's yeah, a ton I of people you... around like that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the difference. You see – the guitarist who does that for me every time I hear him is Gary Moore. Oh, I was you watching know? one of his yeah. Bob Daisley. You know Bob Daisley, the bass player, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Australian bloke yeah. in Sydney. Yeah, I was watching one of his performances with Gary. Um, I can't remember what it was, but I, I can't remember the name of the song. I'm sorry, but Jesus, he's a fantastic guitarist, and it's I've only really started to get into him recently. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, I mean, you know, I've always cited, you know, the first time I seen Judas Priest in 1979. And looking at the stage on stage left, there was KK Downing. And I just looked at him and went, Oh, I want to do that. You know, so I'll unashamedly say that I modeled myself on KK in the early days. You know, he was a, he was a role model. He was like a mentor. Yes. But, um, playing wise, if someone said you can only listen to one guitarist for the rest of your life, it would be Gary Moore. Because I mean, that guy. I mean, he, he's got everything, you know, he, he, he can tear it up when he wants to. But the thing is with his solos, everything is memorable. It doesn't matter how long I haven't heard the Gary Moore song. As soon as it comes to the solo, I know what he's going to play. I know the notes, I know the fucking, you know, I can sing along to the solo. And I work by what he said in an interview once, that, you know, the guitar solo shouldn't be there in a song just because the formula dictates it. You know, first bridge chords, first bridge chords, middle eight guitar solo, you know. If you can't add something to that song with that solo, then it shouldn't be there. You know, there's a few songs that we've done where I've just enjoyed being on the rhythm because it's a good crunchy rhythm, you get down the front of the stage and you put it back on it, you know. Um, so I'm not so egotistical as to say, right, we've got a three-minute song, but out of that three minutes, I need a 30-second solo. If it doesn't, if it doesn't mean it. It's no. as simple as that. Yeah. And, you know, when you hear some solos where it's just a million miles an hour just for the sake of it, it just becomes a texture. You know, it's like Gene Simmons said, you know, it's like having an angry bee in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, there's no emotion a lot of the time. There's no emotion there at all. Yeah. No, no, no. So, I mean, if, if, if somebody, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always said that if I was given the choice to be the greatest guitarist or the greatest songwriter, I would choose a songwriter at the same time. But if someone said you can have the combined talents of a few guitarists, who would it be? And I've always said Frank Marino, Gary Moore, and Zach Wilder. Yes. Those three guitarists. Nice. Yep. If someone could put Good all that into a bag and give it to me, and I could play like that, I'd Frank Marino, Jesus, the, the guy's incredible. You know, but I think it's very underrated. Very underrated. Obviously, Zach, you know, he's just so aggressive. Zach, Zach. You know, <laughs> and, uh, Zach is Zach. That's it, you know. <laughs> the don't fix it, you know. Um, but like I say, Gary Moore. But, you know, there's, there's amazing guitarists out there. You know what? I've got a lot of, I've got tons of, obviously, tons of guitar DVDs. And I got a Malmsteen one once, you know, and he was demonstrating stuff. 
from it's like I'll never be able to do that what the fuck am I watching that for you know <laughs> but then there was a section on it where he just sat down with a backing track and he played the blues yeah <sighs> beautiful absolutely beautiful I'd rather listen to that than all that fucking that he does all the time you know? but that's what he's known for you know so and you can't deny his talent I guess no, no, you can't deny his talent, but um, yeah, notoriously difficult guy to tour and be in a band with. I'll, I'll ask for you, uh, if you don't want to comment on this next bit, so no worries whatsoever, I certainly won't push you, but have you seen in the media recently that he's made comments about his former singers, I mean, excellent singers, Joe Lynn Turner and uh, Jeff Scott Soto um, and uh, Ripper Owens, about them um, effectively just being hired guns and not really, con- I think, I don't want to misquote here, but not effectively contributing to the legacy uh, of, of the band as such he was always the main guy it was really just them following his instructions what's your take on that? Fucking get off your pedestal mate <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, it's like come on you know if he thinks he's such a great singer then hey get out there and fucking do it you know, get out there, play the guitar and sing. You don't need anybody. Great. That's okay. effectively what he said. Mm-hmm. He said that he can sing yeah. and he doesn't need these guys to help him. I'm thinking you've, you've talked about, you've just dissed about three of the best singers in rock ever, almost. Um, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the, one, the, one thing I've seen about him, one interview, I've seen him a long, long time ago, where he said that he didn't owe anything to Richard Blackmore. It was like, I knew for fucking real, you know, Strange the tracks, the way you pause on stage, fucking, you know. And I, I remember when I was still living in England, I went across to the local sort of supermarket and they had a little um, DVD section and there was a Deep Purple um, 1970s sort of documentary and it was like three quid. So I thought, oh, i that. Went home, put it on. Blackmore's playing in the 70s. Fucking hell. Incredible. Yeah, totally agree. Amazing. Amazing. And, you know, not one of these super overdriven sounds which is going to hide all the mistakes either, you know, quite Mm -hmm. clean sound. The strap of single coils, it's like, oh, you could probably play you know, it's like... Yeah, and I agree with you. I've always found Blackmore's playing live to be incredibly honest because there's a ton of mistakes in there, but it's still Richie Blackmore, isn't it? And to the point that we've been talking about, um, Blackmore's playing is incredibly emotive. Always has yeah. been. He's the sort of guitarist you can listen to just by itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's another guy, there's another guy, you know, and I would choose this every time over a million notes in one second... Or that one note that Dave Gilmore plays. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, come on. And, uh, you know, the last time I seen Gary Moore was shortly before he died. Yep. And it was just a sit down blues game in Newcastle City Hall. And his playing was impeccable. And he had an old Marshall, an old Cab, and a few pedals in his best And then he played Parisian vocals. And it was like, every single fucking time, you know, it's like, come on, you know. It's like, that, that's a beautiful piece of music, you know. I mean, he's got a lot of great music, but it's like, it's, you know, I, I just kind of fault his playing, you know, whether, whether or not I'm just a super fan, or not, I just know what he does. But I think you're on the, the money, time mate. Him, yeah. Yeah, well, with the first time I've seen him, we had, a, we had a program in England called Rock Goes to College, and it was all sort of just bands playing college gigs. Yep. And um, I put it on one night, and I was only a teenager at the time. And it was Coliseum 2. And it was Gary Moore, John Heisman, Don Airy, and it was all sort of jazz rock fusion. Don Airy, that's a wonderful keyboard player you just mentioned then. Oh, amazing, amazing. Mm. The whole band were incredible. Gary Moore, just played that. That jazz rock stuff that we did. Was, I love uh, that, yep. Absolutely incredible, yeah. So, yeah, sad loss, a sad loss. Sad loss indeed. Hey, mate, I'm going to bring it back to Venom, if that's okay, because I've got a few questions yeah, yeah. that I want to ask you about some of the albums that have been less discovered or, or frankly, uh, underrated, if you like, but... Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't one of them, to be quite honest with you, because you're not on it, but it's Calm Before the Storm, and it was the album that was produced mm-hmm. in 1987, and, of course, is the first album that you weren't a part of. 
Now, you might have addressed this elsewhere, but can you explain what was happening within the band at that point that led to your departure? Because you rejoined rather quickly for, you re, you came back for what is certainly my personal favourite Venom album by far, to be quite frank, Primeval. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but before that album, and sort of, even during the recording of Possessed, there was a lot of unrest between the personalities. Okay. Um, now in Okay, gotcha. I'm going to ask you about that. Actually, do you mind if I ask you about that now? Because you did, you rejoined mm-hmm. Conrad and Abaddon uh, for Casting Stone in 1997, and then Abaddon left and you stayed on with Conrad for Resurrection in 2000. But you classify Resurrection as one of the four pillars, if you like, of the Venom sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was, you know, it, it was, again, I must be going all the time, I think it was just a good evolution. You know, to go from, you know, Welcome to Hell, which was raw and look, you know, but I think on Resurrection, still to this day, I say there's, there's some great songs, I think the production's great. Yep. Um, it was just a damn good album, and, and so was Prime Evil. You know, Prime, Prime Evil, actually, <coughs> that song, that, that album, basically, you know, what you hear on CD is the way it was recorded. You know, is that right? Basically. Yeah, it basically went down like that. But, you know, it was great sound from day one. It was just one of those, 
you know, stars aligned and boom, that was it, you know. Yes. It's a very immediate record, that one there. I've listened to it a ton. And um, as a bass player, Tony's playing on the song Primeval in particular has been massively influential on me. And I've had a good chat to, to Tony about that album. But I'm so glad to hear that you feel the same way as myself. And I know a lot of fans that are particularly musicians feel the same way about Primeval. It just feels like a complete unit, that album. And that's no disrespect to the rest of your albums, but... You know, I, I could, I, you know, because I've listened to black metal so much and Welcome to Hell so much, there's only certain times where I can listen to them, if you know what I'm saying. Primeval, oh, mate, yeah. to be honest, Primeval and Ave, I have on in the background when myself and my family are eating dinner. Now, my kids are four years of age and two and a half, but we get right into it like that. You know, it's, they're just, they're, they're, they're music that both of those, I, I feel, I could be off the mark here, but I feel as if Ave, in a way, is a continuation of, of where you left off with Primeval? Quite possibly. I think that's a good point, yeah. Um, certainly not intentional. Yes. Um, but probably just due to the fact that it's the three of us again. Hmm. That, that's it. I mean, you know, with RV, I mean, you know, because of the logistics and everything, I've said this before, like, I wrote all the music, I wrote a good portion of the lyrics, and then Tony came across the wall here, based all those and we heard all the lyrical gaps in, and then I got John Nixon producing. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I mean, you know, you're certainly justified in what you just said, you know, because again, like I said, it's, it's just the three of us. I think we're sort of, yeah, I'm going to be honest, I think we lost our way out of the wastelands. Even then, there's some good songs on there. But having said that, I met a guy in America after a show. And he only had one Venom album with him to be signed. And he admitted, he says, I've got every Venom album you've ever got. I've got all the bootlegs, I've got everything. He says, but this is the one I want to sign. This is my favourite Venom album of all time. And yeah. he handed me a copy of Christmas. So, you know, there's, you, you, you can never tell. You can never tell. You know, yeah. what's, what's going to be a good album to somebody is, uh, yeah, it's okay to a lot of people, you know, it's like, you just never know, and that, that that's why you know days away from the release of Arby, and you know it's going to be interesting to see what the fans actually comment on, you know what what they say, because um, I mean the reviews I've read so far have been amazing, great, far exceeded any expectations. Right. Yep. But ultimately, it's on the fans. It is indeed, mate. Yeah, yeah. It is all up to the fans, but mate, the fans are responding. Gosh, if any of the people that I know in Australia, their comments are anything to go by. And the review that I did for the album on metal, I, I review albums, of course, but I do it for a metal the website called Metal Obsession, and that got a lot of positive comments. I noticed. Um, there were some. I noticed on the YouTube clip for Dying Flesh. I hope I've said the name of the track there correctly. There were some younger fans that were a bit confused about the band's sound, but my view on that is that they simply don't understand what the band sounded like with the Demolition Man out front. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, probably right, yeah. I mean, Dying Flash was a, it was a surprise for me when you could at last said they wanted to release that as the first track. Because I, I thought to myself, well, I like the song. It's a good song. I think it's dark and it's, you know, it's got some poignant messages. Great video too, mate, um, by the way. Yeah, yeah, the video was great. Yeah, I love the video. I mean, Tony just went to Rome and looking for all his friends and stuff like that. He did the video over there, you know, because he had said, the one thing Tony had said to me during the course of all of this, because I always jump in on artwork and any ideas or something. And he said to me one day, we was talking on Skype, and he says, look, just write, concentrate on the music, leave the rest to me, trust me, you know, and I was like, okay, I mean, he's my brother, you know, we know each other so long, we know each other so well as well, you know. Um, but yeah, that inflation was a bit of a surprise when we get a blaster, we're going to put that out as the first sort of single. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, yeah, go for it, um, because that was the one song out of the demo batch that they absolutely loved. Apparently one guy in the last heard that song and went sign it and that was it. There was four demos submitted, either the guy's life sign it and that was it, it was done. Well yeah. I don't think it, you know, it's not massively representative of the album as okay. a whole. Yep. When you hear it in the context of the album, you know, you get four songs in and Dying Flesh comes in, then yeah, it all sits together. 
But as an introduction to the album, I was like, well, you know, I don't know. But then, you know, there was a lot of positive um, comments about it. There was a few negative comments about it as well. But, you know, it grabbed people's attention. That was the one thing. Yep. You know, and then obviously the next track that comes out is typical us. God, I love that track, mate. I've got to tell you, your guitar playing on that makes me feel right at home on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've played it three times live now, three festivals. It's been well received every single time. Audience have loved it. Hmm. So um, I think the next one, although I'm not allowed to say, there's another one which is going to be put out shortly. Cool. And even that one thing, because oh, I haven't seen there's another track I would put out straight away, you know, but yep. whether or not, you know, you don't want to sort of fire all your guns at once type of thing, you know, so, yep. but, um, no, I, I think there's some, there's some great stuff on that album, you know, when I listen back to it now and think of the process that I went through to get to this point, mm-hmm. you know, I listen to it and think, yeah, I like that. I'm proud of it. There isn't a track on the album where I think, I'm not happy with that. No, I agree. I think it's a very unified body of work, mate. That's why it reminds me of Primeval. Both of those two albums, yeah. there, I listen to it and go, shit, I'm listening to this stuff from start to finish and I'm good. I'm not wanting to fast forward any of the tracks. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's a good sign. Yeah, Wonderful that, that, song. That is a good I think yeah, it yeah. bodes yeah. really well, mate, for the future for you guys as well. I hope so. I sincerely hope so. You know, it's, um, like I say now, it's all down to the fans, you know. I mean, if they go out and get their copies of the album, then we'll be around a hell of a lot longer, you know. No, I'm pleased um, to do that. No doubt about that. And, hey, mate, I'm just mindful of your time. I've only got two more questions for you. Um, yeah, so I mentioned that Primeval was is my favourite album from from your good selves, and in the liner notes, I always read that there was this guitarist called Al Barnes. So before I really knew anything about Venom and got into the earlier albums, which of course, because that's where I went backwards, got into Primeval and worked backwards from there. Al yeah. Barnes, so he's the guitarist credited on Primeval and 1991's Temples of Ice. What's your take on his contribution to the Venom legacy? Um. The thing is, he, he was part of it. You know, I mean, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't actually. I don't think he actually recorded on Primeval because he had just come into the band at that point. Right. He was with me on this solo project. Uh-huh. Okay. He did, yep. he did. He did record on Temples and the song Tribes. He wrote that song. So Tribes. yeah, he's okay. he, he's got he's got every justification to be there in the family tree. You know, and he, he did a good few shows with us as well. Um, and he's a, he's a super nice guy as well. You know, he's been a friend of mine for years and years and years. And he's actually been out to see us, you know, when we hit London and stuff like that. Because um, we live so far apart now, we never get to see each other. But um, no, he's a legitimate part of it. As is anybody who's been in this this circus, if you like. You know, every, everybody's got a right you know, if there's a family tree out there, everybody's got a right to have their name on it. You know, there's been a lot of people involved in it. So, yeah, he's a, he's a legitimate part of it. Cool. Know? And what's, what's he up to these days, do you know? Um, oh, God, I think he works for some software company or something now. Oh, so he's out yeah. of the business, in other words. He's just... Leaving. Yeah, yeah. He's still, he, he still plays and he still does um, local gigs. But it's just, you know, him and his acoustic guitar and stuff like that, you know, so... Yep. He's still a metalhead. He still looks the same. He's still got long hair and beard and everything, you know. So he's still into his metal. He's, you know, you look at him, he's never changed, you know. Even, even though he's got a really good job and stuff like that, like he's still a metalhead at heart, you know. He's a good guy. And I had to look on Wikipedia to realise that there was a keyboardist that was credited on Temples of Ice, and that's Trevor Sewell. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, I don't even think I was in the studio when when they put the stuff down. Um, and I can't, to be perfectly honest, I can't remember who it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I was there when those keyboards were put down. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I was there when the, the, the girl came in and played the harp, probably at the beginning of the course. Um, <laughs> the keyboard, I can't remember, I can't remember who it was now. It was just a, it was an associate of the band. It was somebody who was around. Right, so, okay, yep. 
Yeah. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah. Look, they're just. I just try to give whenever I interview, particularly. I mean, it's a real privilege and honour to interview you. That's what I need to say now. Um, so, whenever I interview someone with such a storied history and such a wonderful legacy as, as you've got, I like to get as much information on behalf of the people that listen to the podcast because you wouldn't believe it. I've got people in Saudi Arabia that subscribe to my podcast. I don't even know how that happened, but I'm really grateful for the, that they listen. Uh, no oh. doubt about that. But mate, if I can give anybody a bit of a heads up about. Your wonderful back catalogue, with all with the greatest of respect, rather than just Welcome to Hell and Black Metal, and they can get right mm-hmm. into some of the great albums, particularly the ones that the Demolition Man fronted. That's a bloody good thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, do you know what? At, at first, I think you know when Primeval came out, it was very it was very well received by the critics, and I spoke with a few journalists that I knew who said that when they received their copy on the desk, they were concerned. They were saying, oh, I don't know about this. Because, you know, we have, we have been fans of the original band. Hmm. And I remember speaking to one guy, who I'll not name him, but he's a prominent journalist in England. And uh, he said, if this had been shit, I was going to tell you guys to pieces. You know, because I, I love them. You know? hmm. He says, but what you've delivered is fucking incredible. It's fucking incredible. Um, and I mean, even some of the shows that we did were very well received. And I remember a review of this gig that we did. We got invited. Just we were on tour and had a day off. And the tour manager received a phone call. There was an available slot at a show in Bonn, in Germany. <laughs> King Diamond was headlining, and the main support had dropped out. They seen we were on tour and. Wouldn't go along and just play it. We were, yeah, we're in the area, so two of us pulled up, we went off. We told the shit out of that place on that day. Okay. And the review, the review of that, that gig was I remember one line the absence of Kronos growing less and less noticeable. Absolutely. Tony, Tony was doing such a great job, really good job. And now, Speaking to people about those albums, primarily the Tempest and the Wastelands, they love them. They're, they're, they're a sort of lost legacy, if you like. And we're working, we're going to be working hard. Lost legacy, that's so good, such a good point. Yeah, we're going to get them re released as a box set and do something special. Oh, that's, that's music to my ears, mate. That's wonderful to hear yeah. that, that you're doing that. Yeah, we've, we've got that plan. Yeah, it's going to be a difficult process, we know it is, but. Even if it comes down to the point where we've got to really call those albums, we will. Well, we that's, I mean, uh, te- was it, no, it wasn't Testament, was it Exodus that did that? Um, yeah, yeah. There are bands out there that do do that. That's a bloody good idea. Yeah. If, if there's, you know, without going into, you know, potential legal complications around trademark or whatever it might be, the fans want this yeah. stuff. And if you, the, the lineup that is, have recorded are they? Is responsible, in my view, for three significant Venom albums, but they're just overlooked. And re-recording yeah, yeah, them and yeah. bringing them to the people right now, courtesy of the the attention that the band is getting via Arvo, mate, is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if you're aware, but as Empire of Evil, myself and Tony, oh, of course. Yeah, oh, no, it, sorry, I, I didn't let you finish, sorry. You, you've re-recorded a song? We, re- we re-recorded nine songs from that period and released it uh, as an album called Crucified. I didn't know that. I'm gonna, you can imagine what I'm going to do when, this, uh, when our chat completes. Yeah, yeah okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the album's called Crucified, um, and there's nine re-recordings. I know Temples of Ice, Parasites, Black Legions, Need to Kill, oh, and whatever other ones we did, and there's two brand new Empire songs on there as well. And they were re-recorded, but we re-recorded with the drummer that we have an Empire, Mark Jackson. I don't know why I yeah. missed this. I don't know how I missed it. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I probably would have had a bunch of questions about this. But, yeah, somehow I've missed this one. Yeah, I'm just looking at it on the Google now, as George W. Bush used to call Google. Um, <laughs> <laughs> mate. Well, mate, what can I say? I'd better let you go because I know you've been doing interviews all day. It's been a pleasure and a privilege to have a chat to you. I can't wait till you guys come down to Australia, I've got to tell you, and I know a lot of oh. people feel the same way. Yeah, I can't, I, can't, I can't wait to get down there. And, you know, what I will say, you know, you've just said it's a privilege, a privilege to chat with me, you know, that. it's like really I'm the one in the privileged position because you're paying attention, you know, and it's a privilege for us to be able to 
step out on any stage as musicians and present our music to people who appreciate it. That's where the privilege lies. Not in us appearing in or all hear us on we gods. It's like, we're just fucking humans. We're exactly the same as everybody else. Yeah. We just happen to be in a position. Oh. Yep. Yeah, but, yeah. Without the fans, without you guys, we don't exist. Yeah. If there was no interest, you wouldn't be sitting there today, so thank you. No worries, and I've all, I think you know myself, and no doubt the fans that are listening. We've always felt the same way, mate. That we can feel that you really give a shit about the fans, and the quality of the the output has never been anything less than stellar. I've always found that with you guys. You've never released a shitty album. You've never said anything derogatory about the albums that you've released, and yeah, it's. Um, I'm just looking forward to you guys coming down to Australia, particularly because I'd love to catch up catch up with the three of you and have a beer or a coffee or whatever it is that you're partaking. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll have to do it. Yeah, definitely have to do it. Yeah. Wonderful, no, mate. I can't wait to get here. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks very much for the chat. It's been a, a pleasure, uh, as I mentioned earlier, mate, mm-hmm. and uh, fantastic album. You've had a great career. Congratulations again on that. And anybody that's listening, definitely get into Ave. I've, I haven't worn it out because I haven't had it that long, but I've been listening to it a hell of a lot. It's certainly in my top five albums of the year so far. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, I hope everybody enjoys it, and uh, hopefully we'll see you all very soon. That conversation actually went on for about half an hour longer. Unfortunately, my recording software had gremlins that day, and all I got was Tony's commentary. Sorry, Jeff's commentary. Tony. Jeff's commentary. And it wouldn't make sense if you didn't hear the question. And for the life of me, I can't remember what the question was. You can sort of imply what it might have been based on the way Jeff responds, but out of respect to the great man, there's no way I'll put anything out there that I can't provide some context on, AKA the question before he gives an answer. Mm -hmm. So if you like that one, there are many more just like it, including a chat with Abaddon and also a couple of conversations with Tony Dolan. They're all posted to scarsandguitars.com click on the podcast link and you'll be taken to them and a universe of conversations featuring the members of bands such as Death Morbid Angel Megadeth Pantera Cradle of Filth Emperor Satyricon Need I go on again not no I don't because you can go and investigate for yourself plenty of reasons there for you to zone out and tune in if podcasts are your thing something else I've written a book Scars and Guitars, Volume 1. Click on the link in the banner on the website and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice. I've got some more information to share with you about the book, but before we get to that, I need to bid you a fond farewell. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction 
to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was he was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.